love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles He has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see His loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton of the Faith Baptist Church of Silver Springs, Florida. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, Here's Pastor Walton. Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. As we now embark on a new study in a brand new book, we are going to be looking at this small epistle to the Colossians. It is four chapters. It is one of the prison epistles where the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. It is very similar to the book of Ephesians. The difference would be its emphasis whereas the book of Ephesians emphasis is on the church body and all the things that the church is like to the book of Colossians emphasis is on the commander-in-chief who is Jesus Christ but not only is he the commander-in-chief he as the commander-in-chief the head of the church is the preeminent one And it makes it very clear in Colossians that he has the preeminence. And he has it in his work of redemption. He's preeminent. He's first. There is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. He is the first and the only plan of salvation. He is preeminent in his resurrection. He is the only one who has come back to life in a glorified body. Lazarus came back to life, but in his old body. He had to go through the grave again until we get our glorified body. Christ is the first fruits of those that slept. He is the first. He is the preeminent one over the church. He is the head of the church, the body of Christ. We're going to see this as we embark upon chapter 1. Now, verse 1 is the intro to the book in verse 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to see a lot of things of in Christ, with Christ. And the same thing in Ephesians, a uh, very similar book, in Christ, in Christ. And there are a lot of things that we have in. As we look at the fact that Christ is the preeminent one and we are with Christ and in Christ, we'll also notice the things that we are filled with because Christ is in us. So we're going to be looking at some key thoughts, phrases, and words, fullness and in Christ and with Christ, and that he is above all, first of all, and there isn't anybody else. Above God, there is none else. 
zero. End of story. Now, when we look at this, we see the preliminaries in verses 1 and 2. And in the preliminaries, we see the called one, and that is Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. His apostleship was of Jesus Christ. It wasn't man-made. He had seen God on the Damascus Road. He had had that encounter there when he heard, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And in dealing with that, Paul made his way to the cross and salvation. He was then called, and it says here that he was called an apostle by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's his authenticity. Jesus Christ, God's will. That's what you need, folks. You don't do anything without Jesus Christ as your Savior or your life is meaningless. It will not gets you into heaven. It will not do anything for you. And secondly, you do everything once you're a Christian by the will of God, or you will do it out of the will of God. And the be out of the will of God is to live very, very dangerously. We see the called one. We see the companion and Timotheus, our brother. Now, Paul calls him his brother. I'm sure he calls him his son in the Lord because he was probably directly involved in his salvation. But Timothy was a companion. He's one that he wrote two of the pastoral epistles to. First and second Timothy are loaded with things to get his son ready, his son in the Lord ready to keep going when Paul leaves. In fact, in chapter or in first Timothy, he was looking forward to getting out of prison. And 2 Timothy, he says, I'm not getting out. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the faith. I've kept, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. So he, he has got Timothy with him. His salvation, he's a brother. His service is outlined in the book of Acts and in First and Second Timothy. That's the call the companion. Then there are the Colossians. And I want to look at two things about the Colossians. First, the converted ones there. He's writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Now, obviously, there are people that are saved that also are faithful brethren. But there are people that are saved that aren't always so faithful. There are those that come to church, they know the Lord, but they have waxed cold over the years, and, and they do their duty, but they're not found faithful. You don't see them uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you don't see them in the special meetings, and when there's something to be done, you can't count on them. So Paul talks to the saints and those that are saved, but they are faithful brethren, and they're in Christ, which are at Colossi. They were called saints, they were called brethren, and they were called faithful. I want to be in that faithful lot. Now, that's the converted of the Colossians. The city, Colossi, it was located about 10 miles from Laodicea in what is known today as modern western Turkey. They were known for their Gnosticism, which combined Judaism with Greek philosophy and Oriental mysticism. Now, that sounds like 
a trio that is just not meant to go together. Judaism, Greek philosophy, and by the way, Greek philosophy was big, especially uh, in places like Corinth, where they were constantly hearing from the Greek style of, of, of what they would do would be to debate and, uh, you know, if, then, if, then, and, and very uh, persuasive types of debates. But then they add to that oriental mysticism. Wow. Now, the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge or secret knowledge in their belief system. In Paul's day, the Gnostics insisted that Christ was not enough for salvation. I'm here to tell you he's more than enough, and he's all you need, and there is no one else you can go to to meet the need. So in Paul's day, that's what they were doing. It added things to salvation like knowledge, head, not heart, mind, not manners. It represented the radical Hellenizing of Christianity. And in so doing, they were bringing in works to add to salvation. And Paul had said in Ephesians, again, written similarly, but one to the body, one about the head of the church. But Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no boasting, there's no bragging in the works that should do as being good enough or uh, powerful enough to get you to heaven. There's nothing we can do. We can't pay enough money, we can't do enough good works, we can't join enough churches, and we certainly can't go to every service and be faithful if we're lost expecting that to be the thing that gets us into heaven. So he writes this epistle to set straight who he is, how it affects them in their salvation, and how they can be filled up in the things of God and not the things of this world. He's even going to tell them in chapter 2 in verse number 8 to beware of the vain philosophy and teachings of the world. Don't go that direction. These thinkers who like to think in the realm of philosophy and pull God out of everything and philosophize everything, all they do is minister questions, but no answers. Jesus Christ came to give answers to life's questions. And I'm glad we can find an answer book with the truthful, real answers that are there. Now, He's writing so that he can confirm in them their faith, that their faith is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. What's the good news? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other news that's worthy of anything else. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we will be looking at chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, you're going to see as it progresses that it's going to start with Christ and who he is, his all-sufficiency, his uh, being preeminent. It's going to deal with his headship of the church. And then in chapter 2, he's going to refute 
all of those people who are saying you need philosophy and teachings of the world, he's going to come against those things in chapter number three. He's then going to turn and point them upward. And he's going to say, starting right in the first verse, that, you know, if, if you got what you are supposed to have, set your affection up on things above. Get your eyes off of this world and don't look at your life through the lens of this world, through the lens of any person on this planet. Look through the lens of your Savior, Jesus Christ. In chapter number four, he is then going to emphasize the need to be faithful and to pray for one another. And he's going to list a bunch of names. And these were people, for the most part, that were godly people that lived for Paul. There's one, though, that started kind of going with the crowd. But then it said in another epistle that he forsook them. And it's really sad. And we're going to actually look at the, the meaning of the names. And it's interesting that that person's name, he actually lived up to his name. So we're going to be looking at these things. Also, there will be a lot of different titles for our Lord in this chapter, uh, these verses. You're going to see Jesus and Christ and Lord and Lord Jesus Christ. And in those different versions of it, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, one will start with his humanity to his Godhead. One will start with his Godhead and go to his humanity. And uh, we'll see God's dear son, our redeemer, the firstborn of every creature, uh, all kinds of wonderful things, including the preeminent one, the one that's out in front of all the others. So we see the city of Colossae. And the city of Colossae is a very interesting city. It's one that is got a lot of bad teaching in it. By the way, um, there's a lot of bad teaching that continues to go on even in our world today. There are lots of doctrinal things that are being taught in the name of Christ, and they're not of the Bible. So we need to become Bible students. We need to know, thus saith the Lord, and we need to understand the things of God and the Word of God and put it in its context and not take it out of its context. And that simply means this. Don't pull a verse out without reading it in the paragraph with which the verse is there. Get all the things around it, the who, what, when, why, where, and how. And you may, and to get all the information you need, you may have to back up into the chapter before. You may have to go to the chapter after to get the flow of thought and keep it within the context of which it was written. So we see in the preliminaries, we see the called, we see the companion, we see the Colossians, the converted of that city and the city itself, and then we see the compassion. The Apostle Paul says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. The, the, this is a wonderful thing. Grace, God's unmerited favor. He starts out just by saying, grace be unto you. There is absolutely nothing greater than God's grace. 
the song that we know so well, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Grace, God's unmerited favor. God gracing us. And Paul is saying, grace be unto you. Be graced. Be given that which you do not deserve. And we're going to find out uh, a little later that Paul is going to pray for them. And uh, he does the same thing in Ephesians. And in fact, there are two prayers in Ephesians. And, and when we get to that, you're going to find the Apostle Paul doesn't pray like other people pray. He prays very specific, powerful prayers for the readers of his epistles. So I want you to see that there was grace and then there was peace, which is a translation of the Hebrew word shalom, the common Hebrew word for peace. And God's peace is so much better than any other peace. There's the peace of God that passes all understanding. There's no other peace like God's peace. I can say that in the times that I have experienced the incredible peace of God, and some of those times have been really in hard places, one of those times being when the doctor came into the hospital room to give me the diagnosis. I First thing I was told in the emergency room, you need to give us the name of an oncologist. We need to call them and go from there. That's not something you want to hear when you go to the hospital and you're wondering why you're having issues and they tell you that. That's just not what you want to hear. And then when you get through all the testing and all the things they did downstairs and then they bring you upstairs and put you in a room and be seconds you sit down on your bed and walks the oncologist and tells you this is what I believe you have we are going to see through some more testing if it holds true which I believe it will that's what he said or not and of course by the end of the week it had proven to be true now here's the thing he left the room, and at one point, I was all alone. And in that all-alone moment, I got my Bible, and as I began to pray and read, the peace of God flooded the room. And there was incredible calmness for somebody like me who would not necessarily normally be calm in any situation like that. And that's just that time. There are other places and times where in the midst of chaos, you can have peace. Now, let me just give you an example. The disciples were upset because of the storm while Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they went to wake him up and said, Carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus got up and rebuked the sea and the winds came down and the storm was gone. The sea was calm. And he said to them, O ye of little faith. Well, there's a couple things. Jesus had perfect peace in the boat. If Jesus is in the boat and has perfect peace, we should be able to get in on that. The thing is, in our lives, we don't always see Jesus in the midst. We heard the songwriter, as he put it, he's in the midst of our storms. He's in the valleys we walk through. I agree with that. But are you looking for him? 
You see, if you're not looking for him, you'll set your eyes on the wrong things. Peter walked out of the boat. He said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come out to thee. He was told to come, and he walked on the water. But he got his eyes off of Jesus. When his eyes got off of Jesus, he sunk immediately. The key is simply this. In the situation that you're in, good or bad, great or horrific, look for Jesus. If things are going good, listen to me carefully. You can lose the peace of God in an awesome mountaintop experience because you get caught up in the emotions and the sweetness of it and forget the person who gave it to you who's sweeter than the emotions you're feeling. You can forget Jesus and, you know, come off that mountaintop a lot faster than you would normally have come off. Secondly, you can be down in the valley of despair going through something horrific, yet in the process have the peace of God that passes all understanding if you look for him in it. If you don't see him in it and you're not looking, you're going to be in a mess. Now, there's another place where you need his peace. And most people don't think about this. They think about the valleys and the mountaintops. But there is the climb up the mountain. When you're coming up out of the valley, it's a steep climb. And to get to the mountaintop, you've got to go through some things that hopefully you'll get through because you've learned something in the valley and you can have the peace of God as you're climbing the steep terrain of life to the mountaintop. But then there's also the decline coming back down into the next valley. We, as we come off the mountain, are living. We're having our daily devotions and prayer time. We're going to church. We're doing our jobs, going to school, whatever it is that we do. We're going through life. We're trying to do it with our Savior. We're listening to him. We're loving him. And as we're coming down, we forget, though we're not on the mountaintop, things still are pretty good. We forget that what we're doing is we're walking down into another valley where the Lord has a teaching time for us where we'll need his peace. We should be garnering his peace as we walk down the mountain, realizing that we're going to need to be in sweet fellowship with him when we hit the next valley. So the book of Colossians is going to deal with things like this. He'll have verses like, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. That's just one of the many verses in Colossians that are incredible, awesome, wonderful verses that remind us of who he is and what he's doing for us. So we see grace and peace. You put the two together and that makes a great combination. But I want you to see the providence of grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, may I remind you that God the Father is the one who in his will 
sat down with God the Son in eternity past, according to Ephesians 1, hath in eternity past. They created the plan of salvation, and Jesus was willing to go, knowing that that meant he would be separated from his Father. He knew that, yet he was willing to go. They made the plan. So Paul reminds us that this grace and peace is providence to us in God's sovereignty and providential care by the Father, our God, who is now our Heavenly Father because we trusted him as Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who because of salvation allows us to do what he did in the garden. You know what he did in the garden? He said, Abba, Father. He was appealing with one of the most intimate terms you could use, Abba, and the word Father. And then in two other places, in Galatians and Romans, he talks about the Spirit in us, the third party of the the person of the Trinity, who is in us, cries out, Abba, Father, when we don't even know what to do. The Spirit of God is crying out, Abba, Father. But the third passage says, we can cry out, Abba, Father. When we're able to, we can cry to our Abba, Father, like Jesus did in the garden, and call out to him for comfort, for grace, for peace. And we can, if we're just so under it, but we're trying to do right and live for him, the Spirit of God can cry out, Abba, Father, just like he intercedes for us on our behalf. And by the way, in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, it talks about that Jesus Christ is one who intercedes for us. It says, for us. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. So God the Spirit is for us. God the Son is for us. But in that same chapter, it says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Grand finale is simply this. Hallelujah. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are for us. And if God's for you, who can be against you? So this is going to be fun. And next time we're going to start out in verse number three with not the preliminaries, but the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Colossians. It's a powerful prayer, and it's one we're going to look at along with some in Ephesians to let you know we can pray a whole lot different than we're praying one for another and for our churches, our pastors, and our church services as a whole that I think if we got hold of this kind of praying, our services would be sweeter and more powerful and filled with more of God than you'd ever see if we learned to pray like the Apostle Paul prayed. So we're embarking on a new journey, and the journey is through the book of Colossians, four chapters, and I believe you will be thrilled with your commander-in-chief, the preeminent one. Father, in the name of Jesus, keep us safe. Let us see you through this book, alive and in us, filled with all the things of God, In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton with the Faith Baptist Church in Silver Springs, Florida. Have an absolutely awesome week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word. 
You have been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton of the Faith Baptist Church in Silver Springs, Florida. You can address all correspondence to Pastor Roger Walton, P.O. Box 1770, Silver Springs, Florida, 34489. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.